Hello, and welcome to the Be Brave podcast series. In this series, our host, Allison Pickens, Chief Operating Officer at Gainsight, interviews heroes from around our community, such as servant leaders who are paving the way for others through their action and mentorship, voyagers who have decided to take a leap of faith and help pave the way for others through their actions and decisions, and reformers who will share their stories of reformation both in their company and communities and provide useful tips on how you can face adversity head on. In this episode, Allison sits down with Elena Gruwal, former head of data science at Airbnb, to discuss her experiences in helping foster more diversity and inclusion at Airbnb. Now, let's get to the show. Elena, I'm so excited to have you on the Be Brave campaign today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Allison, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today with you guys. Awesome. So the Be Brave campaign actually, um, you know, over a year ago came out of a discussion that we were having internally at Gainsight and also that we were having with many of our clients about how important it is to be brave in your client relationships, right? Because, you know, sometimes we see clients going down the wrong path inadvertently, and we've got to be super assertive in making sure that we guide them in their interest, right? Like to the right outcome that they're looking for. So um, bravery has become, I think, a big subject within customer success. Um, And certainly there are examples of bravery in client relationships that can inspire us, but also there are examples of bravery even outside of customer success that I think can inspire us to have even greater courage Mm -hmm. in our working lives. And so um, we have all sorts of guests on the Be Brave campaign, and um, you are someone who's not in customer success, but I think is an amazing example of courage. So I'm very excited um, to uh, share with everyone um, some stories about how you've been brave in the past. You have led data science at Airbnb um, for a long time. And, um, you know, I love it if you could sort of share with folks a little bit about like what, just to orient folks, like what is data science and what does it mean to lead data science at Airbnb? Great. Yeah, I think it's an important question to kick off to give context. And, you know, data science is a relatively new field. So when I joined data science in 2012, that was about when it was starting to take off. And so what it's meant at different companies can, can differ, actually. So, for example, one aspect of data science is analytics. So that's a little closer to business intelligence potentially, and it's about looking at the data, asking questions of how are our users using our product? What do we see? Are there any trends? Are different types of users using the product differently? And where are the business opportunities? And so that's really more about kind of proactive insights, leveraging data to identify uh, a business opportunity. And then also, you know, tracking results too and seeing, okay, build dashboards. How are we doing relative to our goals? Um, If we're off target, what could be the reason, right? You can cut the data in different ways to really understand that further. You know, maybe it's your users on your iOS app that are really struggling, and that means that, you know, there might be something wrong with your iOS app, and you need to look into that. So that's something that data can really help, and I think about that aspect of data as really the voice of your customers at scale. Uh, We also have a track of data science we call inference, and this is really about uh, causal inference, and so understanding 
you know, we have a product change that we made. Uh, what's the impact of that? How do we understand? Is that working? Is it not working? You know, we can look at data um, as correlations or we can think about, you know, what is the causal mechanism? You know, is what we're doing actually then the reason that our users are being more successful or not, or being less successful. And then the third aspect of this is really about, uh, we call algorithms, and so this is more machine learning, artificial intelligence, and this is where we're using the data we have to be able to then make decisions at scale and like automating the decisions. So for example, if you come to Airbnb's website, you know, you type in Paris, you can see lots and lots of different listings and it would be a pretty overwhelming task for any user to then like look through all of them. And so we wanna be able to use data to say, okay, here are the listings that are gonna be the most relevant for you. Very interesting. Yeah. Data is powering so many of the websites that we use, the apps that we use. So good to know that there are smart data scientists um, <laughs> behind these applications. Terrific. Um, now, one of the reasons why I was really excited to have you um, on the Be Brave campaign is that you've made tremendous strides in um, creating a diverse and inclusive team as the leader of, of data science at Airbnb. So um, I'd love for you to walk us through, like, you know, um, how did you start to become passionate about this subject and uh, what did you do about it? Yeah, um, so this is a, a really important issue for me. So over the time that I've been at Airbnb, uh, we increased the percent of data women on data science from 15% to 42%. Um, 15 to 42. Yes, so a huge difference. And you know, the, the heart of what we did was really actually using data science techniques to make those changes. So, you know, when the the inception of it was actually when I joined Airbnb Data Science, I was shortly after I joined the only woman on the team. And, you know, it was kind of like, oh, this isn't great. And then one woman joined and I was like, oh, this is better. Like, I, yeah. I like this more. I mean, and, you know, the, the men on the team were wonderful. So it was no, no knock against them. But, you know, it helped me to realize how the dynamic can shift when there isn't like a token woman and there's actually like more than one. And it starts to feel like there are different people on the team, different types of perspectives, different voices in the room. And also that, you know, we were missing a lot of talent if we didn't have those people coming in. And so, you know, it was very clear that this was a great outcome for the business to have a more diverse team because we would get the best talent. We'd get people with different perspectives. 55% of Airbnb hosts are women. So, yeah. you know, as you're thinking about, okay, how do we cut the data? How do we understand our users? You know, having a team that's diverse, it's a global company. I mean, that would make a huge difference for the business. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there are a lot of business reasons to do it. And then there's also, you know, the kind of moral reason too, that, you know, it's the right thing to do. And, you know, we want people from all different backgrounds to be able to be successful. Um, and so, you know, those were the motivations. And we took some very specific steps and I actually wrote a blog post about some of the steps a couple years ago. We've done even more since then. I think when I wrote it, we had gotten to 30% and we were excited. Uh, now we're even higher. Amazing. We're aiming for 50. Um, and, you know, we also think about diversity holistically as well. So, you know, I, we made a big effort when it came to women in data science, but all of those efforts were also the intention was to make it easier for anyone of any background to mm -hmm. come in. Um, so, okay, so how did we do it? Let's go over a couple of points. Um, so we had data to start off. So we said, okay, you know, people will often say, 
it's a pipeline problem. There are no women, and that's the reason. And, you know, that's hard to imagine being true since half of the world's population is women. Probably there are women out there who could be great at data science. Um, so we looked at the data and we said, okay, like, let's take a look at who's applying and what's the makeup of those applicants. And we actually found that 30% of our applicants were women, which, you know, isn't 50%, but it's not 15%, which is what our team was at the time. Mm -hmm. So we were like, okay, like clearly there's an opportunity here in the interview process itself. So then we analyzed each step of the funnel and we said, okay, where are we seeing drop off? And then let's make changes so that we can improve this. And so, for example, we had a take-home data test that we would send out and we would, um, send it out, people would do the data analysis, they would send it back, it would get graded. And we thought this was this really objective way to measure people because we're like, we're actually seeing how you do your work. That should be really great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then we started asking the people who were doing the grading how they were grading. And it turned out that it was wildly variable. There was no rubric. And so people were grading it in many different ways. And we realized that that was actually an opportunity for unconscious bias. And so as a result, we needed to have a rubric, have it be a little clearer. Okay, this is how you pass by doing X, Y, Z. The other thing we did is um, we... At the time, there wasn't a way to do this with our software. We used Greenhouse, and um, we realized that if we could make the take-homes anonymous, that could help too. So there was a really interesting study of um, orchestra auditions, and changing to blind auditions where you couldn't see the performer led to a really significant increase in the number of women being accepted into orchestras. So we said, okay, like what would be the equivalent in data science? And so we said, okay, this take-home portion we could make that anonymous. Like we don't need to know the gender of the person doing the take home. And so we did that for that portion of the process. Now, obviously when someone comes to interview on site, we will see them. So, you know, that's only one portion. And so then we thought about, okay, on the on site portion, what can we do? At the time, there were only four women in data science. So the four of us actually got together and we said, you know, one of the women shared, I felt really uncomfortable when I was interviewing because there were no women interviewing me. Mm -hmm. And so we said, okay, well, that's clearly not good and we should fix that. Now, there are only four of us. So, you know, we're going to have to do a lot of interviews. But we want to make sure that for every woman who comes on site, half of her interview panel is women. You know, it's it's so interesting you mentioned that. I think yeah. this this sort of discomfort that candidates have when yeah. they enter an interview where the panel is not like them, I, I think that kind of discomfort happens all the time. And in many cases, we just don't hear about it. Yeah. I did hear about an incident actually mm-hmm. at Gainsight where I like to think of ourselves as being like, you know, very yeah. inclusive and, and you know, we're, we're trying to be diverse. We have a long way to go, though, too. Um, but there was one situation where there's a female applicant and actually by chance, uh, she happened to have a panel that was scheduled to be all men. Mm-hmm. And because I had gotten to know her earlier in the interview process, she actually emailed me mm-hmm. and said, hey, you know, I'm super excited about meeting these folks, but I feel a lot more comfortable actually if there were other women who were on That's the panel. Great that she did and that. And like honestly, it hadn't even occurred That's to great. me, right? Because yeah. you know, I I try not to sort of look at a panel and necessarily yeah. think like, well, actually, I'm I'm not naturally thinking. I guess that you know, mm-hmm. what's the diversity of the panel? But her discomfort made me a lot more aware of that and conscious yeah. that actually I should be thinking about 
who's there, right? And so we actually ended up switching up the panel last minute and she was super happy and we ended up hiring her actually. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's totally right. And really important to pay attention to. And, you know, one of the things that we thought about was, you know, it is a burden if you have women as a small minority to do more interviews. But we thought about it and we're like, well, it's a burden to be the only woman on the team. So we can pick the burden that will lessen over time. If, they're, if we're able to get more women, we'll no longer have a burden. At this point, we don't even think about it because yeah. we have so many women. And so we made that choice. And you know, we made sure our managers knew about that too so that they could be aware and take that into account. But I think that was to the other women on the team, like the four of us getting together and doing it, it made a really big difference. Um, we also paid a lot of attention to the top of the funnel too. So I mentioned 30%. Um, we thought a lot about how can we increase that. Um, if you go to the Airbnb jobs page, we realized that for data science, uh, there were two blog posts by men. And so we said, okay, how about we write blog posts and then there can be one man and one woman. And so it you know, looks more balanced and more friendly as a result. Um, I started talking uh, quite a bit as well and doing talks to kind of raise the profile. And we actually like had conferences at conferences, like that. yeah, so people could see, okay, like there is a woman at Airbnb and data science and you know that can help with the brand. Um, also, uh, I hosted a dinner. So at the time, because data science was a new field, there wasn't really a community of women in data science. And so I kind of did some LinkedIn stalking and I like found all these women who were in data science at different companies and I invited them to come for dinner. And we had this wonderful, magical dinner um, where we had originally had this agenda of topics and then we just said, scratch it because everyone was just having a great time talking and connecting. And so I think that also really helped. It's not, that that isn't like a conversion into having hires immediately, but you know, building that community, I think was pretty helpful for kind of saying, hey, like Airbnb cares about this and we want women to come here. And it also helped women at other their companies too. And so, you know, thinking about increasing the diversity of the industry overall, not just about your company, I think can be really helpful. Yeah. I think it's amazing the journey that you've taken your team on and it took years, right? To get to yes. the point where you are right now, didn't happen overnight, but you and, and the people that you work with on this really persisted and, and it showed up in the results, right? I just think it's, it's so commendable. I also think it's yeah. super brave to do what you did. Um, for example, you know, one reason why you might say it takes bravery, there are many, but you know, one is that I've actually seen um, a study that showed that people who advocate for greater diversity in their organizations sometimes suffer from actually like um, uh, they, they suffer in terms of their like career trajectory. Yeah. Um, now you've done it extremely well, so I don't think that's necessarily the case, you know, with you, but um, in any case, like there's clearly that potential bias against folks who are standing up for, mm -hmm. um, for creating a more diverse and inclusive group. So like given the potential risk, like what, what within you said, like, it doesn't matter. Like, this is just like, you know, this is something I have to do. Where did you get that courage? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a good question. Where do you draw from? I mean, I think for myself, um, it just felt like so clear. I don't know, like if that makes any sense, like I knew it was the right thing to do. And I guess I just had a little bit of a leap of faith that, you know, if I did this and it worked, that 
it would be okay. Um, and, yeah. you know, it helps, I think, to be in an atmosphere where, you know, I knew that people were well-intentioned and the reason that we weren't diverse wasn't that there was kind of active misogyny. It was like people wanted there to be diversity. So I knew that, like, if we did deliver those results, other people would be happy about it. It wasn't like there was an active will against it. Yeah. Um, so I think that that definitely helped too. I knew my manager was bought in. So I think that helped. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to figure out like how you want to live your life and like what gives you joy and pleasure. And for me, like doing this felt fun and the right thing to do. And so I, I didn't really think too much about it that way. And, you know, I think there's a lot of fears out there that you hear about, you know, different people. And I always like to say, well, that's averages. That's not you. Yeah. So like what, what's right for you and like, what are you going to do and how are you going to do it? And that makes a difference. So, you know, maybe on average that happens to women, but it doesn't happen all the time. And you know, if that happens and, you know, you do get penalized for it, um, are you going to be okay with it? Cause you knew you did the right thing. Yeah. You know, I, I've noticed among the people that we've hosted on the be brave campaign so far, and there've been, you know, a few, yeah. um, there is this common theme of clarity of purpose when they're mm -hmm. doing the courageous thing. Like actually I often hear, um, I just had to do it. It just was the right thing to do. And I, yeah. it was sort of just channeled out of me and I did almost didn't have a choice. I just knew I had to do it. Um, and I, I think that clarity of, of purpose is, is really amazing. You, you can kind of be like, well, and, and that's not to say that it's not scary to do it, right? Yeah. Like, even if you have that clarity of purpose, you know, it is still scary. Yeah. And you still have to overcome your fear. But I think it's knowing that, like, you will personally feel so much worse if you don't, if that makes sense. Like, it's like, if I don't do this, I know that I will not forgive myself. Like, I will not yeah. have live with my values. And like, that's not okay for me. Yeah, right. Like that so, alignment with your your sort of internal compass feel, right. seems really important. Right. Um, and, and maybe yeah. also, you know, it's interesting, you know, I think there is also a, an aspect of being brave that is a little bit of confidence in yourself that even if it went south, you would be okay. And, you know, I think sometimes, like, I was a PhD student, and I made $19,000 a year. Yeah. And I remember being really happy. I would, I was like, it was like a good time. Not everyone loves their PhD program, so I should definitely not generalize that. <laughs> but I think a part of that was like, you know, I don't... It, it's going to be okay. Like, I'm sure that I can find a job that will make some money. And, you know, I have that faith in myself or, you know, I have friends who will help me or family or support. And I think having that confidence and also like, frankly, support network can also be really huge for being brave. You know, I, I think that's something that I've actually heard a lot about um, in terms of entrepreneurs where people are like, oh, they took such big risks. But, you know, often if you think about it, they took a big risk from sometimes a place of some comfort, right? Like it's yeah. not like they like ha like they had a, a family to fall back on or friends or, you know, some white privilege. Sorry. Um, but like, you know, like there was like something to fall back on. And so, you know, I don't I don't think we should underestimate that. Like, I think that makes a big difference in people's ability to be brave. Yeah, I love that. So, um, you know, thinking about you mentioned earlier, like even when you're being brave, um, there still is fear and there's yeah. risks, like real risks that you take on. I'm wondering about ways in which one can de-risk 
the process of advocating for greater diversity and inclusion in one's company. Um, are there certain things that you did that just made it easier for you to, to make it happen? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot, a lot of it is strength in numbers. And so having a group of people trying to make the change, I think, can really help as opposed to feeling like you're the only one. So I think the yeah. fact that, like the four of us women got together and we talked about it, you know, there was, there was a strength there. It was like not any one of us trying to say, let's make the change. And then also with the data science managers at the time, getting them on board too. Like it was like, we, we all got together to say, we know that we agree on the mission. And so I think that helped a lot to say like, we all know we want this. And then, you know, when it came to making some of those harder decisions, having that strength in numbers, I think can, can de-risk it. Mm -hmm. I think also, um, um, you know, with everything, incrementalism can help too sometimes of like, let's try this one thing and see how it goes. Um, and then, okay, that didn't work. Okay, we need to go further. Like, you know, taking that approach too can sometimes be helpful yeah. and making sure that you're always thinking about like, what's the outcome we're going for? And as we make these changes, are we truly getting closer to that or not? Yeah. Um, I think also with diversity, you know, one of the things that's really tough is, um, I think there are two things. One is that I do think there is a really real fear for men that it will hurt them. And that is important to talk about and to, you know, kind of say like, okay, let's, let's get into that. And like, be really clear, like, we are still accepting a lot of men. Like, one of the things that was so interesting to me was um, even from our recruiting team sometimes, you know, it was like, okay, well, what about the men? And I'm like, have you looked at our team? Like, 85% of the team is men. There are a lot of men here. Like, many men are having great careers here. Mm -hmm. This is not going to mean that, like, men are not going to have great careers. In fact, it will make men's careers even better because they will have an even stronger team around them to learn from, and the company will be more successful and that's really good for them too and so you know it's like it might feel like it's um kind of a fixed pie but I think it's it's really not and so kind of talking about that can be helpful yeah and then I think the other aspect of it is this idea of a legal risk right so we can't do something to change diversity because it's illegal and I you know I think with that you know the law is important but at the end of the day, you know, laws are going to change too in reaction to the times. And I always loved like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the movie where she's like, you know, the laws need to catch up with society, right? Like yeah. maybe laws haven't gotten to where they need to be. And, you know, I think like the value of a legal team or HR is extremely important to kind of tell you about legal risk. But I think if you're a leader, your job is to lead the team. And so you need to balance that with other factors and not kind of use the risk of a lawsuit as a reason to not act because sometimes I see that as frankly an excuse. I'm wondering like in as yeah. you described your journey it sounds like there was this core group of women um, yeah. who uh, were sort of um, not just advocating but like involving a broader group of people and making all of this happen. And, um, and men too. And men too. Yeah. yeah well, so I was curious yeah. to know like how in what ways were men involved um, and like especially and then, well, I have another question about, like, men in leadership. But, yeah, in what, in what ways were, were men involved in this? Yeah, I mean, this this definitely could not have happened without male allies. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, all of the data science managers, I I will say, were 100% on board with the changes that we made. Um, they played a really active role in thinking about how can we improve the diversity. Also, how can we make the culture welcoming for women when they join and women and people from other backgrounds? The only way this could work is if you had male leaders who were able to say, I'm going to hire that woman 
or I'm going to promote that woman. And it's just not possible without male leaders owning that too. And so, you know, I think that's where you do need to bring everyone with you. Not everyone, like, it's okay if, like, a few people are like, no, I don't want to do it. But, like, you can't just, like, go it alone. Like, it yeah. has to be a group effort. And, um, you know, I think that was that was huge. I love how you describe so. this as, as, look, the hiring managers need to own this as a problem that's, like, or opportunity that's in their remit. Yeah. Um, actually, at Gainsight as well, um, we've sort of formalized that a bit more this year in the sense that, you know, a leader might own certain standard outcomes that are associated with their function. For example, if they're a sales leader, they have a quota target. Yeah. If they're in customer success, they might have a retention target. Um, equally, you know, there are certain expectations that we have about diversity and inclusion. Sometimes they're measurable, sometimes they're not. Those need to be owned in the same way by managers as their more, um, you know, financially oriented <laughs> targets. Um, so I love the idea of formalizing ownership. Um, you know, on the subject of, of um, leaders, you know, sometimes I think people will say things like, um, well, look, I'm blind to gender, um, right? I'm blind. Like, it, you know, I, I look at everyone as an individual and it, like doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't notice gender. Um, what would you say to that statement? I'd say you're a statistical anomaly. I think, <laughs> I think from most, a true data scientist, most yes. people do notice gender. When you see someone, you probably can t- pick up something or you make some inference about gender. And, you know, I think that there is a difference between being blind to gender and discrimination, right? And, you know, I think that people say that sometimes because they feel like they don't discriminate. And so they say, okay, I'm blind. But the reality is like most people see gender and it does inform how they perceive someone. And there's so much research that supports that too. And so, you know, in, in some ways, I think if you say that, either you're a statistical anomaly or um, you're not looking at data correctly because all the data says that most people do. And probably you're going to have negative outcomes for your team because the other, even if you don't see gender, other people do. And so, yeah. you know, someone's going to be paying attention to it. And as a leader, if you're not aware of how that's happening, um, you could be having uh, negative impacts for the culture of your team. Yeah. So if, if actually like, if very few of us are actually blind to gender yeah. um, and, and maybe it's a tough aspiration to be like completely blind, what do you think are our obligations as leaders of teams that, you know, that are diverse or could be diverse? So I would say the obligation, it's not an obligation, but I mean, your job is to deliver results for your company. And to do that, you need to have a great team. And you're not going to have a great team if you have a homogenous team. And you're not going to have a diverse team if you don't have a culture that um, allows people to thrive. And so, you know, part of allowing women to thrive is understanding that there may be different work experiences that they are having because of their gender and being able to address those so that they can be comfortable and they can thrive. And often that might mean, and you know, this is management 101, but every person is different, right? Whether it's woman or man, even within a certain gender, people are different. And so you need to be able to um, understand your people and what their experiences are so that you can help them do their best work. So Elena, if you have one piece of advice um, to share with the audience, what would it be? Mm. When it comes to diversity and inclusion, yeah, I would say get your leaders to own this. If you are a leader, own it. 
if you are not a leader, get your leader to own it and don't let them delegate it to someone else. It's their job. That's an amazing call to action. Thanks, Elena. I really appreciate your being on the Be Brave podcast. You've been um, incredibly brave, I think, even during this discussion. And also, clearly, there was a lot of bravery involved in your journey. So thanks for sharing it with everyone. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Good luck, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Be Brave series. If you want to hear more stories from influential heroes from around our community, be sure to check out www.bebravetogether.com. Until next time, this has been the Be Brave podcast series with your host, Allison Pickens. See you on the next one.